Hey, hey, Podnutsians. Welcome to Linux for the Rest of Us, episode 227. This is a Linux podcast all about normal things for normal people. Linux for the rest of us means everybody else, not the elitist, not the enterprise endeavors, but everybody else. Um, tonight is going to be a different show. I'm joined by Bruce Patterson. Hey, hey Bruce, how's everything going? Pretty good, Dor. Well, it's not elitist. What am I doing here? You know why you're here. Um, and I'll say this. I don't know. Who knows this? But me and Bruce have been connecting via audio streams off and on for, I want to say it's been over 12 years, possibly. It is. In fact, I went back and looked at an old Linux Basics post from many, many years ago. And this post, we had already been, it was at least two or three years because the post I was looking at was at 2010. So it's like, yes, it's it's been a while. It's great. Yeah. And like, um, I really got to the point with doing Linux for the rest of us. I felt nearly uncomfortable doing it by myself. And I, one of the reasons I realized is I can't be funny by myself. Whenever I had somebody else on the show, I could once in a while, you know, poke them or say something funny and get a reaction out of. And by myself, it wasn't the kind of thing I seemed to do. Um, so I'm now going to go out on a limb and say, I'm going to encourage anybody who wants to be on Linux for the rest of us. As long as you email me with a good idea, we will find something to do, is what I'll say. Uh, but for now, it's me and Bruce. So the first thing I'm going to ask is, Bruce, can you give us just some of your experience, some of your history, some of your l lineage, some of the things that you've done in Linux or around Linux in the last, you know, decade? Huh, well, it's a long, tired history, but I, I'll condense it into to few words. I, I think first and foremost, I, I want to consider myself more of a, a man who happens to have Linux on his uh, machine. I mean, I, I've been, in fact, it was funny because uh, I got into Linux, oh, way back, whatever, um, this was Ubuntu 5-something, and uh, the reason I I did is because my machine got infected. The funny part about it is that it's not really through any ideology. It was more of affordability when the day was done because when the machine got infected, after I, I spent three hours cleaning it out, I realized that I also had to remove some programs and I realized I got to install them all. I don't have the license and then I have to re purchase them again and it was a good jumping off point so anyway since that point on uh i've been a solid linuxer for she's 15 or oh, even closer to 17 years it's in fact to give you an idea i also remember red hat 5 um but uh uh, anyway, the short of it is that uh, in my spare time, I uh, started doing, uh, well, re-bringing re up uh, the DistroWatch podcast. That's been something that Russ Wenner handed off to me many years ago, and it's actually through his connection that we got together. So uh, Russ is the, uh, the six degrees of separation, if you will. Yeah, and I'll say I have no problem saying out loud, I love Russ Winter, hanging out with him is the best times I've ever had in my life. Only close second is hanging out with Bruce Patterson up by uh, Cambridge, Massachusetts. <laughs> well, now I'm red-faced. Actually, to tell you the truth, whenever you get together with good people yourself in this, uh, I, I just say, I, 
I, I will never forget them. You came up for uh, the Linux Fest and, you know, we just spent a lot of time just, you know, outside just talking and, you know, literally enjoying everybody's company. I mean, it was Cody, you know, uh, Russ, Jonathan. I mean, you know, this is we could we could sit back in our rocking chairs and enjoy the times that we've had throughout the years. And I'm hoping that we this sort of um, reconnection, it you know, maybe brings back some of those memories but more importantly also get people sort of uh, inspired to go back to the things that they enjoyed with linux yeah and that is to me one of the biggest things that i enjoy about linux and it's kind of a community thing but it's kind of a personal thing as well um i enjoy the discovery the exploration but i also enjoy when i actually have to break down and ask somebody for help when I actually get help, I mean, in the Windows world, that never used to happen, at least back in my day, like get off my lawn. Have you seen like they had a little ribbons for breast cancer that are pink? My buddy had one that was gray. And when I asked him what it was, he said, it's for the gray beards. Get off my lawn. Oh, I love it. I love it. I'll have to start pinning a few of those around here. Yeah. So I'm going to have to try to see if I can find one of them so I can put on my lapel kind of thing. Um, and that was one of the things that honestly drew me and Bruce together, Jonathan, Cody, Russ. It was community, and it was the sense of if I couldn't figure something out, I know they could. But also, when I learned something, they would be excited to hear what I learned. Well, and let's also, I mean, give more shout-outs to some of the original members of Linux Basics, too, because John Newstetter, super, super nice guy you know gosh too i mean whenever you know there was anything coming in in between you know him working 24 hours a day he found to jump on as well so i mean we had a solid group and i really truly miss those days oh trust me i do um josh knucklehead tech i still voxer which is like a private voice messaging service i still communicate with him at least like two hours every week um it's always interesting conversations is the best way I'll put it. And I know you're not a partaker of alcoholic beverages, but one of my best experiences in my life was sitting at OLF with John Newstetter, and we enjoyed some Johnny Walker Blue, which is $200 a bottle. And me and him just sat there for, it felt like, you know, multiple hours, but it was probably only like 15, 20 minutes. And we just BS back and forth. And it literally was like old times. Well, I hope that came in a 200-gallon drum. No, not at all. But it, I'll say this. It was worth every penny uh, just to be able to hang with him again and just talk frank about things because that was one of the things I liked about Lennox back in the day is we had the, I guess, permission to be utterly frank about everything in Lennox, the good, the bad, the indifferent, the obstinate, the revelations and everything. And now... I don't want to say, don't want to sound old and say, you know, with political correctness, there are certain things you can't say, but it seems like certain things now have almost became a little bit off limits. Well, again, I think one of the biggest problems is uh, when you look at what happened with uh, Richard Stallman, that was actually, I think, something waiting to happen. That's been years in the in the coming. Um, because what was interesting is that some of the emails um, that he had 
shared with his local uh, uh, MIT mailing list. Uh, some of the stuff that was released from there on the surface seemed pretty harmless, but we'll never see the full text of that, at least that I'm aware of right now. And of course, this was all tied to uh, the school, I believe, Professor Minsky and his ties to Jeffrey Epstein. And of course, you know, that's the MIT is not the only school being singled out here. I mean, Harvard's being pulled down as well. But, um, you know, I think one of the things that kind of turns me about a lot of this is that um, there is, uh, we're losing the ability to speak to one another and more importantly, to have an honest, healthy, open debate. You know, you and I have been together long enough to, whenever we say things, we can disagree with each other and there's no personal harm in that. I mean, I think think the thing is is that i i think a lot less of you if you agreed everything i said i mean because that's clearly not the way it should be but i i share the concerns that you had this yeah and like the i mean you know i literally always try to look at the bright side quite literally this evening we're walking through a like um wholesale store bj's costco kind of thing with my youngest son and he said where's mom at and I had to put it in a positive spin. I didn't say, well, I know she's up here because she walks really slow through these aisles. I said, well, when me and Billy walk through this store, we walk really fast. But because mom's here, I know mom is going to take her time and she's going to evaluate every single price and make sure she's doing the right thing. Instead of it being insulting and saying, well, mom moves slow, so I, so she's right up here. Um, I always want to look at the bright side. The bright side is now everybody in the world truly understands just how inept Richard M. Stallman can be. The sad part is now we in the Linux community, in the free Libra open source community, we don't have that flagpole in the ground that says, here's where this extreme lays. Here's how hard you can get on the free open source side of it. So now we're going to have to make our own determination on what is that extreme. And I believe it's actually going to hurt the environment in the long term. We're going to need somebody else to stand up. We're going to need somebody else to insist that things are as free and as open as possible, or else we're going to have companies come in and dictate whatever they want. Well, one of the things I've always, what's interesting here is that the Free Software Foundation, the executive director is John Sullivan, super nice guy. I mean, I think he's uh, extremely bright. He's very measured in the things that he says. Um, but I also get the feeling, too, that he's a little bit more of a realist as well. Um, Richard Stallman took it to the extreme. And granted, I think it's like in some ways no different from the ACLU. You know, they have a mission, and it's up for them to stick up with that mission regardless of the uh the baggage that it comes to or in in the free software foundations um situation the restrictions that come with it if you truly want your your privacy or you know not to be um i guess for a lack of a better word uh monitored by other people so i don't know how the free software foundation will be handling this in the future yeah, comparing that to the ACLU is maybe the most accurate thing I've heard in the last couple of weeks. Because if anybody blanketly agrees with everything that the ACLU does, in my opinion, you do not use your brain and think. Um, they do things that I think are in, very vital and very important. 
And I absolutely agree with them. And then once in a while, they do things that I'll turn to them and think, what in the hell are they thinking? Because they're not thinking like me. They're thinking at a absolutionist stance. And that's what Richard M. Stallman was. He was an absolutist stance. Free, Libra, open source, or death. There was nothing in between. And you and I realized that pretty quickly, that that's not a possibility for folks who work in enterprise. I mean, you're working for the government. I'm working for the education system. And, you know, the thing is, is that Windows rules the day, whether we like it or not. And that's there's nothing we can do in regards to that. However, you know, we can choose some of the applications and in some cases the OSs we use. Uh, so I think that be that's the only way to, I guess, show that there are ways to get around it. Yeah, and, and to be honest, I have a T-shirt that I think perfectly expresses this to at least myself. And I love Star Wars. I remember going to a drive-in movie theater. And if you kids don't know what that is, go YouTube it, okay? I went to a drive-in movie theater and watched Star Wars Episode One before it was called Episode One. It was just Star Wars A New Hope. And I have a T-shirt that looks like that, except it isn't Luke Skywalker and it isn't Princess Leia, it's Kermit the Frog and Miss Piggy, because my wife loves the Muppets. And that is a compromise. We in life have to compromise everything. We never get everything we want. We must compromise. So that t-shirt is a compromise. I love Star Wars. My wife loves the Muppets. Here is what the shirt that I get for my birthday. Oh, I love it. It's fantastic. It's so cute. It's really not but it's a compromise. Same thing in my work environment. I compromise. I have to run Windows, but let me tell you something. When I can, I download like an application, WinGNU32, which are Windows 32 build binaries of GNU applications. And I make it work. Why? Because that's what I do. I compromise. And it's funny you say that because I heard a really misguided argument the other day about uh, my two coworkers were we're discussing why one's a PC gamer and why one's a console gamer. And the person who was coming at with, oh, I'm a console gamer because I don't want so-and-so to, you know, keep an eye on every move I make. You know, he played some specific game, but, you know, I said, that's ridiculous. Do you have a Gmail account? He goes, yes. I go, how many, two or three? And I go, you want to see something? Go to google.com slash takeout. And if you want an eye-opening experience, you'll do exactly that. You can see all of the purchases you've made since you've logged into Google. You can see the itinerary of the places you've been to. You can also see all the YouTube videos you've pulled up, both not safe for work and regular for work. You know, so, you know, if one person isn't doing it, somebody else is. So make a better informed decision of where you want to stand your ground. Yeah, and I'll say in free Libra open source software, and one of the reasons I use that explicit vernacular, I'm sorry, Bruce, I'm becoming educated, is because we in the English language do not have enough words. If you say freedom, well, what kind of freedom do you mean? If you say security, well, what kind of security do you mean? It's the same kind of thing where if you say that you want privacy, well, you have to go and you have to further define that because there's ultimately a billion levels of privacy that you could be talking about. What do you declare as being the most important part? And then unfortunately, 
when you are computer savvy and you educate somebody on these things, they typically don't react very nicely. No, and I think really when the day is done, I saw an interesting article a little while ago saying, let's just get rid of the notion of privacy. It's gone. In fact, I think if anything, the what finally topped it all off was the uh, Equifax, or I'm sorry, the Experian hack of two years ago. They said 165 million uh, folks had their, their data compromised. When you stop to think about it for a minute, that's probably every single working American in this country because uh, not everybody works. And so you look at the uh, last census, it was what, 365? So, you know, that's that's more than enough people that were compromised here yeah and it was first name last name street address zip code state um social security number i believe was entailed in that and there was like three more points of information um with those kind of data breaches the idea of privacy becomes i don't want to say the word outlandish but it seems farcical it seems fictitious and what i learned is the United States government was baptized on the ideals of freedom, but there is nothing in any Bill of Rights or Constitution where it mentions personal privacy. And we now in 2019 are becoming victims of that neglect is the word I'll use. Oh, it's a perfect word for it. That's exactly what it is. And I don't know, uh, as much as I'd like to say that this actually woke some people up, it woke up a few people, but not enough. Yeah, it's the kind of thing we as individuals, the example I use is we knew back in the 70s and 80s, if you said the wrong things in a telephone call, that the NSA would be triggered upon what you said and people said you were crazy and then it turns out in you know 2010 or whatever oh well it turns out they were listening to literally every phone call that was ever mentioned and they literally had software in place that would capture certain keywords and if those certain keywords were mentioned then they were notified of such conversations so it wasn't that we were crazy it was that we were just ahead of our time when it comes to privacy, it now is the truth that data, metadata, this little thing is now become the new oil in the world. And Linux, in my opinion, is not up to date enough to give the end user enough tools in place to protect any level of privacy. No, I agree with that. Well, and like, you know, we have things like Tails, we have things like Cubes OS, we have things like Tor, and they're honest to goodness attempts to at least begin people thinking about these kind of things. Um, but my personal belief is we as end users have to use a little bit more brain power. And what I mean is, if you stop and think to yourself, when I leave the house tonight, you know, I think I'm going to commit a felony. Well, if you are, well, then maybe you should leave your mobile phone or and computing device at home just so there's a little bit less tracking involved. Oh, and let's not forget forget the uh, the face makeup too. What is it? They figured out that if you if you do make up your face like the insane clown posse, it messes up surveillance cameras. I have such such mixed feelings about that, Bruce. <laughs> As you should. <laughs> 
because if you don't understand how magnets work, I don't really want to talk to you. But at the same token, if you're able to get around normal surveillance, there must be something good about you. I told my wife last time we went to Disney, I literally put a battery in my hat and I literally had a, um, I can't remember now if it was ultraviolet or infrared light on my hat to where basically it rendered me blind to cameras. So when we went around Disney's at night, they couldn't see me. And I thought it was fantastic until I was stopped by a, um, uh, I can't remember what they call it now. A person at Disney employee came up to me and asked me, you know, we would really appreciate it if you would take that hat off. And I was like, why? I love this hat. They said, well, it's kind of interfering with our cameras. Huh, that's amazing. I had no idea. Yeah, it's like, um, I, I don't want to say night vision, but the cameras that are used for surveillance are, they have a um, spectrum, so it makes them easier to see things with less light. So I used uh, a little LED and like a battery battery, and I put it in my hat, and I knew that at, that at least at night, I would just appear like a bright white spot, and they couldn't actually see my face <laughs> that's perfect i love that i'm gonna have to remember that one now yeah well and my wife's kind of got mad at me he was like i told you you're a jerk and i was like well i just confirmed their level of security oh there you go <laughs> right well uh, and and i'll say this here's my question richard or bruce is there anybody who can step up to take the place to even remotely take the place of what rms I don't want to say meant, but what he did. And the perfect example is, I don't know if you saw his last public speaking event was literally at the Microsoft campus. Oh, wow. I didn't know that. That's actually a a good, well, that's a challenge because like I said, uh, he and, um, and John Sullivan are polar opposites. I I like John. I think that if anything, um, he would be a great face for the organization. And I think the thing about it though is that as such a low profile though i'm hard pressed to name any major events where anybody has simply said well this was john sullivan from the free software foundation Uh, they they don't really have a very high profile anywhere these days so i'm not exactly sure who they are speaking to because uh it's not me yeah, and I believe I actually met John Sullivan maybe twice, and his demeanor is not one to draw attention, is what I'll say. And uh, for better or for worse, I mean, even though Rick was a polarizing figure, um, it, it's kind of like the train wreck of what we have for a president. People came to see it, think more out of curiosity to see what he would say and how he would say it, rather than the actual message that needed to take place. I cannot argue with you whatsoever. Um, and I'll say this. I have met other personalities in Linux in the open source environment who I do believe could be as, I guess the word is entertaining is what I'll say. Uh, but I'll say the personal people, if you right now go on the popular mediums like YouTube and just search Linux, what I've come across is incredibly scummy lowbrow, low intelligence, uh, low ethics, very low morals, uh, content people offering, and nothing actually challenging 
what it means to be open source, what it means to be free software. Although, you know what I'd be very curious about? Uh, so actually, this was a, a minor discussion that I had some back and forth with uh, Jesse uh, Smith from DistroWatch because uh, that had come up and, and basically his short comment was something along the lines of that, um, you know, Stallman and Torvalds are very brilliant in the things that they do. However, these are folks that after they got to a certain level should have actually handed anything over to a PR team because this is what could have helped take the sting out of the way both gentlemen do business. And without that filter, you have what you have. I mean, at least with Torvalds, his his could have been a lot more damaging because there are a lot, a lot of developers out there who put their blood and sweat into Linux because they believe it. But if your boss is a complete jackass, uh, it's easy to walk away from too if you feel you're not appreciated. I have no idea what you're talking about. Oh, I kind of do. Um, the only benefit I'll say is with Linus Torvalds, people independently could see things progressing, things getting done, things getting better, regardless of his personal attitude towards them. With Stallman, I had a very difficult time seeing any advancement in GNU or the herd kernel, which he was behind, or any of those things, Emacs or anything. I saw very, 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 very little advancement in what he was behind, yet he was, I personally think, a little bit better at grabbing the spotlight. Well, now that he's no longer doing anything, Herd should be completed in a couple of months then. Well, and that to me is going to be one of the most interesting things now, moving forward in the next 12 months, 18 months, three years, five years. Where is GNU going to be? I don't, if the herd advances any, I'll be incredibly impressed, but I'm terrified in Microsoft's Linux endeavors is what I'll say. And I think that if they have a brain, they're going to do everything in their power to minimize the importance of GNU in the GNU Linux ecosystem and just emphasize the Linux Windows partnership. To that, I have nothing else to add. Uh, it's just, uh, it's a solid state. Well, it's the kind of thing that it's one of those things that I can't say with any like absolute assuredness what's going to happen. But I don't know about you. I've seen no advancement in 10 years in GNU. I've seen plenty of advancements in GNOME, KDE, Cinnamon the you know, desktop environments. I've seen plenty of it, advancements in KDN Live, Firefox browser, LibreOffice, these individual applications. I've seen metric tons of advancements in um, Nginx, Apache, stuff like that. But when it comes to the core of Linux, it just seems like I've seen slow, methodical um, driver enhancements that made things less cumbersome less aggravation but in terms of GNU I don't I can't tell you a single advancement in the last 10 years because without sounding dumb 15 years ago GNU just worked you know their tools their said their awk all their little tools just seem to work exactly as they should and I haven't seen anything happen no to that point 
Uh, I think that's one of the, maybe this is something that Stallman can actually work on, you know, bringing things up to speed. I, I guess I don't know. I think maybe this is also a jumping off point for him, whereas, I mean, he's not a spring chicken anymore, too. I mean, I know he's up there. Uh, maybe it's time for the new guard to finally take over Linux in general because look at all of the changes that have happened, you know, even in the last couple of years with some major distributions. I mean, you know, unfortunately, those the passing away of um, the uh, the um, developer Actually, the the founder of Debian that was a that was I thought a crushing blow, but that community is still pretty you know rolling pretty strong. Um, you know, there's a uh, big changes happening with Fedora now that uh, you know Red Hat and uh, uh, is owned by uh, IBM. Uh, the, there's a lot of big changes coming up, so I think we're going to see a lot of other more development. Let's put it this way. I think I feel that right now some Linux distributions will gain from the new partnerships that they've had and maybe easily surpass the vision that Shuttleworth had had in what he had hoped would happen with Ubuntu. I, I think you're unbelievably accurate is the way I'll put it. Um, I Do you know anybody that actually works for Red Hat? Yeah, we, we know uh, Drew. Yeah, I know three or four people, I want to say. Three of them I've openly communicated with in the last like five months. Um, and they were utterly vehemently like positive in IBM has changed nothing. They've just enabled us to do what we did before with a little bit more freedom. Um, and to be honest, that's what Red Hat needs. Red Hat needs to be able to do what Red Hat has done for however many years it's existed and just let them do what they do because it's painfully obvious that they do something incredibly right. Even if I'm not a personal fan of their product, their operating system, their interfaces, their applications, their Java stack or whatever, it doesn't matter what my personal opinion is. What matters is, is it successful? And it's been insanely successful. And I'm really happy to hear that IBM is not doing the old blue mentality of extend, embrace, uh, and then envelop, but they're actually letting Red Hat do what Red Hat does best. And it'll be interesting to see now, is uh, Jim Whitehurst, who still runs the show for them? Uh, he's still there. It's not clear what he's being asked to do. It's not clear what he's being allowed to do. It's not clear what he's being encouraged to do, but he's technically still there. People believe that with the purchase of them, the contract stipulated he had to stay there for a certain length of time, but there, I haven't heard any exact uh, details about it. Okay. Uh, well, for better, for worse, uh, as most folks realize, this was also the week that uh, CentOS 8 was released, and um, I was quick to embrace it before I actually had a chance to test it. I figured I'd just go all in on it, and this may very well be my very final S going forward because this one supported for 10 years, and if I'm still at work 10 years, then, uh, you know, somebody will have to put me to sleep. But um, the short of it is that I found it uh, a lot smoother 
uh, installing in prior uh, installs. Uh, it was um, the software, though, was the one thing that took the hit because uh, throughout the the service, I mean, the forums and uh, through some other colleagues, a lot of the stuff that used to be in the EPEL or the EL repos or RPM Fusion repos, uh, they're missing a lot of software. Uh, luckily for me, I supplemented Audacity and um, FileZilla through Flatpak, which is awesome. Um, so uh, I don't know, but for for right now, everything is working better than I expected. Well, uh, for the I don't expect we have new new Linux listeners, but devil's advocate, what's the connection between CentOS and Red Hat? Just the uh, the rebranding. They stripped it all out, and uh, this is this is Red Hat uh, Community Edition. Uh, in fact, what's the CentOS? Uh, uh, CentOS is actually supposed to. The acronym is Community Enterprise. Uh, <laughs> you have me on the rest, but it's short for that. Yeah, I can never remember. I can never remember what the acronym is, but essentially. Red Hat releases Red Hat. And then what happens is they remove all of the graphical branding saying it's Red Hat. And then they turn the clock back, I want to say maybe two months. And that's what CentOS was. Now it's much more closer to being real time, the exact same thing you get to Red Hat. The only difference is with Red Hat, you can call somebody up and say, please help me. Dear God, this isn't working. And CentOS, you're on your own. And you can easily run scripts and basically transmute, convert, transform, literally change your operating system from CentOS to Red Hat or from Red Hat back to CentOS. And correct me if I'm wrong, but they've never came close to having a 10-year life cycle on anything before. No, this is actually, this was actually, uh, they were the first ones out of the for this, so... Um, it was actually to see that uh, this is now in place, and uh, like I said, you know, it's uh, it works with most of the stuff I need to do for work, and more importantly, the uh, remote desktop feature is the one I usually rely on for my. Uh, I don't even need a Windows VM now; I can just use a remote top to get into the instance that I need for a box. So we're good to go. That is unbelievably nice, and I'll say this. I had an old belief, and I'm going to ask you to be quite frank with me. I had an old belief, and the belief was RPM-based distributions or CentOS, Red Hat, OpenSUSE, those kinds of distributions were more server enterprise-based distributions, and Debian, Ubuntu, Mint are more desktop enthusiast entertainment-based distributions. Do you think that line might start to be getting a little bit blurred with um, CentOS? No. In fact, if anything, quite the opposite. I, I expect that, uh, well, this release was clearly more defined. Uh, and without the real details on it, um, it feels a lot more containerized or or um, a little bit more shut down from the extras, which actually may explain why a lot of the uh, desktop software that was available in the other repos were not available this time around. Because, I mean, FileZilla and Audacity are pretty standard um, uh, applications, and both of them were actually in the EPEL 
the EPEL reap uh, for seven, actually for six and seven. Uh, this time around, no. Uh, in fact, I think uh, last there there's at least fifty pieces of software applications that I'm aware of that are not in any of the repos. Uh, so right now, it seems that uh, it's becoming more and more for servers. Um, now, granted, the reason why I was CentOS is mainly because I wanted to pretend somewhere down the road that I might become an admin. I still have time on my side, but time's running out, and that dream could die on the vine. We'll see. I was going to say, how much time left? Um, well, now, here's the real question. FileZilla, but can you install FileZilla server? To me, would be like the dividing line. Um, and is it a bad thing? that it's a server distribution and not a desktop distribution? No, is the short answer. Um, you know, again, if, I mean, I think if anything, what really isn't touted very often, and it should be, because I think it's actually one of its best, maybe strongest features is security. Uh, one of the odd things about this time around is that when you're installing, um, you know, CentOS for the first time, one of the, the questions was, um, you know, choose a uh, security profile. You know, usually you go with the, the basic standard desktop one, which, you know, closes down certain ports, but keeps most of the stuff that you need open for what you need to do. Uh, this time around, there's no security profile. SE Linux is uh, enabled by default. So uh, I think what I really need to do is uh, spend some time and really get myself up to speed so I truly understand SE Linux. Yeah, and I'll say this. Um, when I hear 10-year lifespan, it is so reassuring to me, Bruce, because that means stability. That means they expect you to be able to install a certain core competency of applications on a server and I'm okay with it being a server type distribution. And yet you don't have to do a lot of maintenance or upkeep or work through the next 10 years. Um, stability is what I always insist upon, what I crave in my Linux distributions. And I'm a firm believer starting Ubuntu 6, um, 606 is when I first really got this idea. And the idea was you should never install a Linux distribution and then force it to do what you want it to do. Instead, you should go in with the idea of what you want your Linux distribution to solve and find the distribution that is closest to it, um, which I will say, unfortunately means that every time you want to install Linux, you should go through a questionnaire, maybe 20 questions, maybe 40 questions, maybe whatever. But you should go through a questionnaire to ultimately decide what is the most appropriate path for you to go forward with. And I will say, if it's a security-based decision on a server operating system that you need to be stable for more than like five, six years, I cannot see something else even remotely coming close to Red Hat or CentOS right now. And I'll say this. I've never been a CentOS fan, and I really want to install it. Uh, well, I have been a CentOS fan 
for a while and mission accomplished. Uh, although to tell you the truth, one of the interesting things that I ran about was that when I uh, changed my position a year and a half ago, uh, one of the things that didn't matter is what I was running for us. Um, so they handed me my, you know, um, uh, company issued computer. So I was trying to figure out what do I want to run on it. And believe it or not, I act with uh, Linux Mint because uh, Cinnamon, Lineyard, I mean, it's it's no, it's one of the the uh, top downloaded distros these days because it's slick. It's very slick. I know that you have uh, ideological reasons against it, and uh, and I agree with you uh, on that. Um, in this case, I just needed something up and running. I actually should have probably chosen Solus now that I think about it. But eh, hindsight is twenty twenty. Um, eh, but again, I think one of the other things that we worry about in the Linux world is, um, you know, the folks who run the show and how long they're going to be in at it because, um, you know, the longstanding ones very rarely had it at the top. And like I said, with, with uh, um, the V and Murdoch a couple of years ago, uh, that was a big blow to uh, to um, Debian, but they, they got, they marshaled their troops and it seems like they've landed on their feet. So uh, at least... You know, that is still going forward. Some of the other ones, you know, Solus, when Ike left them again, um, it sounded like they were kind of left in the lurch, but again, they seem to have landed on their feet too. So I guess it's another question you should probably put on your list um, before you make a change, you know. Um, how long has their owner been in place? Yeah, and I will say, um, I do have faith that Solus will be in air quotes, fine for like at least another two or three years. And being old, I can say this one or two years is literally only one or two years, but if that's all you need, that's all you need. Um, Debian, I have, I have unbelievable faith 20 years from now, you could put me in carbonite and wake me up in 20 years. And Debian still going to be just as friggin' rock solid as Debian has ever been because it's friggin' Debian. And I really have like, that's one of my face. Like when I sit down in my chair, I have faith I'm not going to fall through the chair. I'm gonna, I have faith that the chair is going to stop me. Same thing with Debian. But what I don't have faith in and what I wish I had faith in was why can't I get, and you can't answer this, Bruce. I have a Raspberry Pi 4 sitting right here in front of me. I have a Raspberry Pi 3 sitting right there in front of me. I have a Rock Pro, I'm sorry, a Rock 64 sitting right in front of me. I have a Raspberry Pi 3 in my garage. All of these are ARM-based microcomputers that are my servers one is running next cloud one is um one is running uh octoprint for my 3d printer one is running my ad blocking software the other one is running a samba server which is doing synchronization between everything else in my network but why can't i get a red hat distribution or a centos installed on one of these things when are these people going to actually support arm-based systems because then I can actually install them and play with them. Not to mention have them for 10 years. Yeah. And like at this last VMware conference at VMworld, I want to say it was 4,000. It might've been more. They literally gave away 4,000 Raspberry Pi 4s at that conference because in a very short amount of time, the VMware infrastructure, the VMware sphere operating system is going to be installable on a Raspberry Pi. Um, I'm, I'm not going to be foolhardy and say this is the future of computing, 
but I will have very comfortable saying ARM-based microboard computers are a future of computing. And if Red Hat and CentOS and RPMs don't get on board with this kind of infrastructure, I think they're going to have catching up to do. Well, you know, I'm actually surprised that this isn't a thing, given the fact that, um, again, there are companies out there that could use a low-powered, solid database server, you know, and I think for third-world companies, this would be a huge, huge boon to them because not everybody can afford Amazon. Yeah, or Azure, or anybody else. And again, it's funny because one of the things we came across at work uh, uh, in the last uh, year was how to maintain Amazon costs because I knew this would happen sooner or later. Everybody's all up in a race to get to the cloud, and now they're in the cloud. Somebody's handed them the bill. It's like, let's race back to Earth. Yeah, I, I always believed a hybrid cloud was the most appropriate where you have a local on-premises infrastructure that you then basically back up to a cloud infrastructure and you only truly utilize in the realm of a catastrophic failure. Which actually makes perfect sense because that's exactly what I'd also felt. I guess we're sort of running along the same lines because, you know, we've always known that AWS would be big for a while, but uh, once we started seeing the bill and how much they charge for things, uh, I think at some point smaller companies are going to have to start making hard decisions because they are not cheap. Well. I'll say this. I don't think they're supposed to be cheap. They're supposed to bill themselves as more affordable, but not cheap. I do believe when we had actual estimates from third parties on what our Amazon usage would be, it was clearly over $10,000 a month for my job. And what I can't believe is anybody didn't immediately just run away. Yeah, well, I guess we must. <laughs> when you look at money we've been spending on it, holy cow, it's something to have a budget. It's also another thing to have the CEO sign on it. Yeah, well, I'll say this. In my environment, a CEO should not be there for even two years. Um, I'll say this, tangent. One thing China has over us Americans, us Americans, is they can say we're going to do something and you can rest assured. As a person working on that, or as a citizen, that's how it's going to be for the next five years, 10 years, 20 years, or 50 years, because, hey, we're in China. In America, if a government person says we're going to do this, you can say to yourself as an employee or someone in there, well, this might change in four years because government could change in four years. Actually, uh, and I'll tangent that with, uh, if you folks ever have a chance to uh, check it out, Bruce Schneier. Check out his blog on security. There's an interesting segment about uh, a couple of uh, hacks that had happened uh, with the FBI uh, communications protocol. Um, so anyway, yes, our favorite country is behind that as well. So anyway, take a look at it when you get a chance. Yeah, de- uh, definitely interesting content is the best way I can put it. Well, Bruce, I'll say we've been doing, we, we said to ourselves, we were only going to try to do this for like half an hour. And I believe we're closer to an hour right now. Um, We can rein ourselves in, or if you want, we can also do a redo and cut it short. You make the call. 
Well, my logic is what we have already is really good content. Maybe in future endeavors, we could try to keep it shorter. But what I'll say is uh, we did talk about good stuff. We didn't get into community, which I will say freedom and community is a uh, never ending um, topic that we can get into. We did talk about uh, Richard Stallman and the FSF. And I will say this. I wanted to talk more about the S the FSF because I do think that they're doing the right thing. I think they made a mistake by anchoring themselves so hard with, with uh, RMS. Uh, we did talk about CentOS, what it means, why it is, how it is. And I'm really utterly impressed that they're now doing a 10 year cycle that really makes me want to play with it. Well, it's, I think if anything, we've made, uh, we've set out to do the things that we were going to do. Uh, one of the things to your point though, um, I guess we should probably also try and bring it back to the user level too. Uh, it's sometimes I get off on this because, uh, the, uh, the work that I do is with enterprise, but, uh, enterprise is not what I do when I'm at home. So, you know, to your point, we will focus a little bit more on that. Yeah, and the one question I forgot to ask you earlier is how long have you had, because I'm going to guess you've had had, how long have you had a purely non-Windows-based network in your house? Well, this house is easy because it's uh, 10 years because I've had this house for 10 years. Um, the other parts, so then I'm doing the math out loud now, so you know I'm old. Um, so I would say, yeah, geez, 16 years. Oh, man. See, I know for a fact I've had a pure Linux infrastructure is the way I put it because I'm, you know, enterprise nerd. I know I've had a purely Linux ecosystem infrastructure for 13 years. I don't think it's more than 13 years. And I can tell you this. Once I went a pure Linux ecosystem, I transformed i metamorphosized i went into a cocoon and when i came out i became an administrator because i had no choice because you have to be an administrator when you have a linux network but at the same token i now don't have to worry about random drive-by infections i don't have to worry about windows updates not working i don't have to worry about those kinds of things so there's the yin and there's the yang i'm really happy with my Linux environment is what I'll say right now. There are certain things I don't enable on any computers because I trust my network and the Windows people at work don't comprehend that. Well, and for me, you know, again, it went back to the issue of, you know, I've also been fighting this too, DNS servers, uh, because there was an interesting story a couple of weeks ago in DistroWatch where there's actually a rethinking about uh, DNS servers versus... Uh, Ah, jeez, what was it? Um, I'm gonna have to look it up. It, it was. Uh, I'll get the. I'll get the uh, rest of the story. Yep. Yeah, it was a DOH DNS over HTTP. Oh, that's it. That's it. Yeah, and it's an interesting way that we could be thinking about the future of how do we do address looking up. And uh, I'm happy to say Mozilla, in my opinion, is on the right side of this. Uh, but we have to see how it's going to unfold. Yeah, exactly. Ah, all right. Well, I think other than that, I've pretty much tapped out the stuff I, I set out to do. I mean, we could talk about football, but I'm a Raiders fan, so there's no joy there. The stinking Raiders.
Yeah, but aren't you aren't you watching the Seahawks these days? I, I, I'm not going to lie. Um, there's only so many rapists I can view on a daily basis, so I've basically bailed out of football. Um, I will say, I it's like I used to watch WWF wrestling back in 1983 because I really did actually enjoy the athletic um, uh, exposition. And I really did watch Michael Jordan and Scottie Pippen and Carl Malone because of their athletic prowess. And I really watched, I loved watching Ronnie Lott and Joe Montana and other players because of their, what they could pull off on the field. Modern day football just seems a little bit lacking. And I believe it's because of the rules that they put in place, limiting all the players abilities. And I just, when I watch a football game in 2019, it just seems a little bit less interesting. No, you're you're right about that. Uh, and living in the heart of uh, Patriot Country, uh, I gotta hear about it every year. Oh, that no, that can't be fun at all. I mean, you know, watching people like you know the old football players play was just a to me it was like a, a, almost a rite of passage. Watching Johnny Unitas invent the two-minute drill was really important milestone in football. Today, watching these football players, I don't see any milestones being actually established. No, and without going too much further down this road, if you want to see the ultimate in running back, then you need to go back and watch Jim Brown because this is during the time where people could disable a player by throwing a forearm at him, and it wasn't illegal. At all, and yet Jim Brown was man enough to take it and throw it back at him. It was so. Oh, he was he was a true monster, and the fact that nobody's approached his yards per carry is is just a phenomenal tribute to the pure athlete that he was. Cannot agree more. Um, I will say, if you have your own personal uh people who were the absolute pinnacle of their um sports entertainment career don't hesitate send us an email podcast at linux for the rest of us.com if you want to send me a direct email you can send it either to mail at podcast.com or door door geek at gmail.com if you want to send us a voicemail please don't hesitate 7076 podnuts.com uh and i will say any and all emails involving bruce i will happily forward to him and i will configure the podcast at Lennox for the rest of us to forward to him as well. So if you want to contact him, I'll say the all of the appropriate links will be in the notes. Uh, do you have any uh, parting words for everybody? Dora, I had a lot of fun as always. And so looking forward to the upcoming weeks. See, and that's why I like Bruce. 99% of the podcast I listen to, they go for five minutes about how you can follow them on Twitter. You can follow me on Facebook. You can follow me on MeWe. You can follow me on Instagram. You can follow me on all these services that absolutely suck. And yet when I ask Bruce for any parting words, he just literally has parting words. Thank you, Bruce. As always, Dor, it was a pleasure. I love you, man. And do not forget the most important thing about using Linux and why you use Linux, because if you do not have root, you have no idea who actually does. I love all you guys. And I'll talk to you again real soon.